have the privilege of continuing this sermon series that we've simply been calling Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. How many of you have uh, enjoyed this series that we've been working through? Yeah? Be a little awkward if you didn't enjoy it, you know? Probably wouldn't say that, at least to my face. But I have just been blessed uh, uh, going through this series. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot preparing these messages and just pouring over the book of Romans and even having to share with you today. I've learned a lot, as many of you reflected, that you've learned a lot as well. This has been a powerful series for us, and we've been focusing on going back to the basics. We've said over the last few weeks that even as a seasoned Christian, many of us have been in church our whole life, if not much of our life, we still need to go back to the basics and understand what the basic foundational truths of this gospel message And I know for a fact that many of you are new to faith or you're returning to faith. And especially for you, it's important for you to know and to remember and to be reminded of the basic tenets, the basic statutes, the basic elements of our faith. And there's no greater book that sort of comprehensively contains those basic elements to focus on than the book of Romans. It's a powerful informational book that reads less like a letter to one of the churches and more like a statement of our faith. And it's for that reason that we've decided to jog through the book of Romans, not hitting every single chapter and every single verse, but focusing on those basic things that we all need to focus on and remember as it relates to being a follower of Jesus. And we've said week after week that the mega theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And we've read the Wayne Grudem quote that goes, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. God is himself the final standard of what is right. And we've said that to internalize that, To value that, to humbly embrace that standard that God creates is what it means, is what it looks like, is what it feels like to live a successful, functional Christian life. And I've asked you every week and I'll ask you again this week, who who doesn't want to live a successful life? And I'm not talking about the houses and the cars and all the opulence that the world offers us. I'm talking about a successful life doing what the creator puts you on this earth to do. And that is to serve and worship him. Who doesn't want to live a successful Christian life? But that's what we get when we embrace God's standard. When we believe upon him and he gives us his righteousness and he sees us as a new creation. Paul teaches us through the book of Romans how to be right. To be right with God, to be right with and within ourselves, to be right with other people. And that's the whole deal. That's what we're here for. So we opened this series just opening the book of Romans to the very first page. And we saw that very first chapter, Paul is just proclaiming how he's not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul's not ashamed to bring this gospel message of hope and blessing to the church at Rome. He's seen it work in other places. He's seen it completely transform entire cities. And because of that, he has a great measure of confidence in the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. We went on to talk about how, you know, what the problem is. We talked about our sin problem. And we dare not talk about the problem without talking about the solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. And last week, we wrapped all the things up by talking about what it means to be justified 
by faith. Jesus has done this work for us already. All we have to do is believe it. All we have to do is lean into it. And Paul talked about in in Romans chapter 4 what it looks like to be justified, to be made righteous, to be made whole and to be made holy by the finished work of the cross. What it means to believe, to to be justified by faith and not our human effort and our works. So we've talked so far about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross We've talked about what it means to deal with our sin issues and believe on Jesus and be justified by faith. But I think it's important for us to talk about, you know, maintenance, right? It's important for us to address what it takes to live the day-to-day left foot, right foot of this faith. Because we can talk loud and long about what it takes to get in this thing. But if we want to have some measure of success in this life, we need to deal with at some point, hopefully very early in the process, what it looks like to maintain this life with Jesus. To walk this out, to be successful, to have some measure of victory and success as it relates to keeping up with the demands of serving Jesus and pursuing an abundant life. And today I want to continue this series by discussing a very important aspect of our faith. It's an aspect that can be overlooked. It's an aspect that can be trivialized. It's often trivialized. It's an aspect that can be blown out of proportion, misrepresented. And this very important key aspect is the person of the Holy Spirit. Talk this morning about the Holy Spirit and his role in helping us stay the course and live the abundant life and pursue Jesus with all that we have within us. If you're like me, you grew up in church. And depending on where you grew up in church or what denomination or what the feel or what the vibe was, what the theology was, the expression or the teaching or the understanding of what the Holy Spirit was and what his role was could have been different from church to church. And it's been my experience that many people get the Holy Spirit woefully wrong. It's been my experience that many people use the Holy Spirit, frankly, as an excuse to just kind of be weird. Just, I've just seen a lot of weirdness in the name of the Holy Spirit. And my thinking is, you know, this is weird enough. Have you read the story? That God in heaven wanted to save fallen humanity and he sent his son you know, through a virgin, and she gave birth, and he died on the cross. He didn't stay dead. Listen, that's kind of a strange story. Now, I believe it. It's powerful. It's changed my life in ways that I don't have time to recount today. But it's a strange story. And far be it from me to make this thing any weirder than it already is, any more peculiar than it already is, but frankly, I found that the Holy Spirit just gives some church folks license to just be strange, strange, and a little crazy. And when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus sort of did crazy things. There were bouts of strangeness within the working of his miracle, his miracles, and his ministries healed people. He understood things about people that he could only be, you know, so know by the power of God's spirit. Demons came screeching out of people. But Jesus just seemed kind of like a regular guy. He didn't talk in any, you know, weird sort of way. 
He didn't have all these learned sort of church behaviors that made him, you know, unaccessible to those who were far from God. Jesus was just kind of a dude, man. And I really admire that about him. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And I think to truly understand who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, what's his role in our lives, is the difference between living the abundant life and just sort of barely just sort of making it. Just barely sort of making it. And this week, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Particularly, I've called this message, Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. I want to remind you today and inform some of you that may not know this, but there is no abundant life without the Holy Spirit. There's no abundant life without the Holy Spirit. There's no functionality, no success to this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. There is no, frankly, there's no salvation without the Holy Spirit. There's no authentic Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Because the power that you need to live this life, the power that you need to defeat the enemy that hates your guts, the power that you need to live this life successfully for Christ comes from no other place other than God himself. And to try to do this life, to try to have some degree of success in this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit is just impossible. And I think Paul sort of breaks that down for us. We'll be looking this morning at Romans chapter 8. Just a few verses here. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 8 starting at verse 1. And Paul breaks this down for us. And I hope to put this on a very low shelf for us this morning. Life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. We'll start at verse 1. By the way, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there are Bibles um, on the edges of your rows. There are also, um, we'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can take one of those Bibles as a gift from us to you. And I recommend that you bring your Bible to church because it's just a good idea. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let me pray before I begin. Lord, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you, God, that we get to partner with you in sharing and receiving the gospel. Lord, it's such a privilege. God, I thank you for the word that you have uh, given me to speak this morning, Lord. I just know this is going to encourage. I know it's going to inform. I know it's going to enlighten. I know it's going to bring freedom today, Father. So I pray, dear Lord, that you would just move me out of the way, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. May there be hope in this message today, Father. Would you just remove the distractions this morning, anything that might rob us of what you want to say? God, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 1. Paul says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. We could really stop there and just have a praise break if you want to. But we'll keep going because there's a lot here. There are no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us 
who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God and never did obey God's law and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. He's talking to the believer. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those that do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That's key. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. That's that righteousness we're talking about. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by his, by the same spirit living within you. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation To do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. What a rich and powerful 17 verses. And Paul says a lot in here. And basically what he unpacks for us is the truth that the Holy Spirit gives us power for this life. Power for this life. Power for this life. And living in a modern world, we're very well acquainted with the need for, uh, of, of electricity to power things. You can have the most magnificent piece of machinery, the most magnificent gadget. You can have the most magnificent and most useful tool that, you know, the human mind can create. But if you don't power it, it's useless. Right? And the same is true with our lives, particularly our Christian lives. We need power, particularly God's power to live this out. And that power comes, as Paul presents to us, through the Holy Spirit. And Paul paints for us a very good picture of what it looks like and why it's important to live according to the Holy Spirit's leading and not the alternative, our sinful nature, our flesh that drives us to do what we want and to live life on our turf and on our terms. Paul says that leads specifically to death. But there's three specific things that I want to pull out this morning out of this passage. Like I said, there's a lot here. Three things that I want to pull out. And the first thing is that Paul says a life in the spirit is a life of freedom. A life lived according to and led by the spirit of God is indeed a life of freedom. 
Now, let me just say for the record that I feel like modern America is just generally doesn't, we don't, we don't really grasp this notion of freedom because we really haven't really been enslaved in a, in a, in a, in a, in a natural sense, right? I mean, to really understand freedom, I mean, you really have to not only be bound, but you have to be aware uh, of the bondage that you're in. You know, I've said several weeks ago that in order to really appreciate salvation, we really have to understand and appreciate the depth of our own depravity and how far in the hole we were. If we're unaware of that, if we're unwilling to accept that, then salvation, being made righteous, doesn't mean anything. And the same, the same idea works with this whole concept of freedom. If we don't understand just how bound we were and how enslaved we were to things that were really robbing us of life, and robbing us of all the good things that God has set before us, then we really don't really understand this concept of freedom. Just like a person who's never done any time, you know, never been locked up, you don't really understand or appreciate really what, this, what it's like to be free and not to be behind a cage somewhere. Some of you have done time, I won't call you out. But you understand now on this side of things, just how beautiful freedom is. Just how lovely it is to be able to get up and go where you want to go, to get up and eat what you want to eat, you know, do whatever activities you want to do. I mean, you really appreciate that when that's been taken from you. And Paul says, listen, a life in the spirit is a life of freedom. Verse 1, Paul says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Paul says there's no condemnation no condemnation and this whole notion of condemnation speaks of uh, God's disapproval of us God finding fault in us counting us as guilty counting us as on the hook for our own sins and our wrongdoing we're talking about what no condemnation means right Paul says listen God there's no condemnation for those of you who have really taken to this thing For those of you who have believed upon the name of Jesus and have trusted your life to him, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. You ever felt condemned? You ever felt like you were in trouble and you were on the hook? That's a terrible feeling. Now imagine feeling that in relation to a holy God that can do whatever he wills with your soul and with your life. That's heavy. Particularly if you have eyes and a heart to perceive and receive what God, you know, thinks about you and feels towards you. Many of us sitting here today feel condemnation, feel like God's mad at you. And though you've confessed that sin over and over, you've come up and got prayer, you've used whole boxes of tissue as you've cried and got deliverance, you still have walked away from here feeling like you're on the hook for it. And this is good news to you. This is the essence of the gospel for, for you today, that there is no condemnation. There's none. If you've believed on Jesus' name, if you've given your life to him, if you've trusted in him, there is no condemnation. But who does this apply to? Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ. Another translation says, those who are in Christ. And I think it's very important for us to understand what it means to be in Christ. Now, to be in Christ is not synonymous with being perfect. If that were the case then none of us would be in Christ. And if you think you don't qualify for that imperfection, then you're worse off than you thought. 
But in Christ doesn't mean to be perfect. Doesn't mean that you don't mess up. Doesn't mean that you don't have bad days. Doesn't mean that you aren't skeptical and sometimes you wrestle with doubt. Doesn't mean that you don't want to just give up. Doesn't mean that sometimes you just don't want to go back to those things that were just so fun in the moment. Doesn't mean that you just, you don't have any problems and you're just this sort of Ned Flanders type of Christian and everything's always okay. That doesn't mean, that's not what it means to be in Christ. The only condition for this no condemnation is to be in Christ. So we need to understand what that means. I'm just here to tell you that you can be depressed and still be in Christ. You can be confused and dazed and still be in Christ. You can be skeptical. You can have serious questions about God and faith and still be in Christ. You can be a work in progress and still be in Christ. And many of us, uh, 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 this applies to many of us, you can be out of your mind and still be in Christ. And I mean, for some of you, that's, that's the gospel right there. You're like, this, especially today, you know, after the week you've had, you can be in Christ. And because all of that brokenness and all of our issues don't disqualify, in fact, it qualifies us, then the fact that we can be in Christ and still be wrestling and still be struggling and still be moving ever closer to Jesus But since we believed and we've trusted our hearts and trusted our lives to him, that means that for us, there's no condemnation. That there's forgiveness. That God still counts us as righteous, not because we're just so good and he's just so impressed with how lovely we are. But because we've believed on him. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Now, if that doesn't speak of freedom, I don't know what does. That doesn't blow the the door off the cage. I don't know what does. Life in the spirit is a life of freedom. So why is there no condemnation for those uh, who are in Christ, even though we've messed up, even though we've sinned, and even though we continue to miss the mark? Paul tells us in verse 2, and because you belong to him, because you're in Christ... The power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is why there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. It's because through the power of the spirit, through the work of the cross, through our faith, our confidence, our belief, our trust in God. Basically, God has completely neutralized the power of sin over you and has completely neutralized and freed you from the consequences of that sin. That's good news. The power of sin is broken over us and therefore we are free from that power of sin and sin's consequence. Let's understand what sin is. Sin is not just those evil things that you do in the dark, you know, behind closed doors that you're so ashamed of. Sin is, a, is this notion that you can do things your way. You can live your life on your terms. You can call your own shots. Now, that certainly includes those infractions. That certainly includes those besetting actions and those besetting sins that we struggle with. But the power of the Spirit frees us from sin and sin's consequences. 
Basically, the consequence of sin is death. Now, that may not mean a physical death, but that means a separation from God. For those of you who have ever experienced and was aware of your separation from God, particularly those of you who have felt God's presence and been near him before, you know to be far from God, to be separate from him is is an unpleasant place to be. It's an unpleasant place to be separated from God. The immediate consequences of our sin, separation from God, not to speak of the eternal consequences of being eternally separate from God at the end of this life. God's power frees us from sin and sin's uh, consequences because of the finished work of the cross. Verse 4, he did this so that the just requirements of the law would be satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So we've been delivered from something into something. So what we've been delivered from is sin. We've been delivered into a life of power, a life of freedom, and that's life lived according to the spirit of God. A life in the spirit is a life of freedom And that's a hopeful message today. Second thing that Paul points out in this passage is a life in the spirit is a victorious life. Is a victorious life. Is a fruitful life that is characterized by winning and not losing. It's characterized by thriving and not just surviving. It's one thing to be free and still destitute and still homeless and still wandering around begging for food. It's another thing to be free and to be thriving and to be working and to be in the mix of things and be living in a fruitful, abundant life. Well, the life in the spirit not only frees us from the power of sin and sin's consequences, but it affords us the luxury of living a victorious life. And victory speaks of being triumphant. Victory speaks of having defeated a foe or an enemy. And when we're talking about defeating something, we must remember that we're all in a serious battle. We're in a fight. And if you want to find somebody who's in real trouble, find somebody who's in a fight and they don't know they're in a fight. I mean, it's unpleasant to be in a fight, but it's more unpleasant to be in a fight and not know it. And I'm here to let you know that we're in a fight, man. Now, the, the enemy is defeated. And God has power over him. But we're still entrenched. We're engaged in a serious fight. Maybe nobody's ever told you this, but, but Satan, he, he hates you. He hated you before you came to Christ. What do you think? He's excited now? What do you think? Oh, they go to church now. Let me find somebody else. Oh, he's reading his Bible now. Let me, just, let me leave him alone. I struggle. On the straight and narrow now. Let me, just, let me just back away. Now, you get hooked up with this. You start fellowshipping with Christian community. You start putting your life under a microscope. You start saying, Lord, listen, I'm going to just lay this all down. You tell me what I get to keep. You tell me what I get to pick up. Boy, that, that throws him into overdrive. Satan hates your Guts, the scripture tells us that his job is to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. Does that sound like somebody who's playing around? 
job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of us, we're playing around with the enemy. I watch these shows, sometimes these reality shows that have this shocking footage and this guy's playing with a lion and the lion just does what lions do, tears the guy up. And I think, what did you think was going to happen with that lion? I know we let you pat him a couple times, but you wanted to turn the camera on and you wanted to box him a little bit and the lion just tears the guy up, you know. What did you think was going to happen? I have the same question for those of us who are just flirting with this, just flirting with the enemy, just just playing around with this, just just dabbling in this and just dabbling in that, and just because the consequences of our sin haven't yet come to bear, we just think that this is just a game, and that when, you know maybe when I settle down I'll get serious about this, or maybe when just when I've had more fun I can just get serious about this. Listen, we are in a fight, and Satan is playing for keeps. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. This is not a game. We're in a fight. But the scriptures promise us that life according to the spirit of God, lived and led by the spirit of God, makes us victorious. But we still got to deal with this battlefield that we're on. And the main battlefield is the battlefield of the mind. Paul talks about that specifically in a few verses here. This starts in the mind. Defeat starts in the mind and victory starts in the mind. And Paul just breaks that down for us. Just a real quick side note. We talked about, you know, that we're going to get to this whole notion of sanctification, which is the the process through which we get closer to Jesus and look more like him, that lifelong process of becoming more like him. Well, this whole process starts in the mind, as we'll see when we get to Romans chapter 12. But the battlefield is in the mind. Paul says this in verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Now, I just hear already, oh no, I, I thought a bad thought today. And some of you said, I thought two bad thoughts today. Is, is it talking about me? I mean, I'm not talking about a bad thought here or there. That's not what we're talking about. Just relax. And let me read it again so you can hear it how you're supposed to hear it. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Read, sort of meditate, rehearse over and over in their minds sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Holy Spirit. They rehearse in their mind things that please the Spirit. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul says a mouthful about this whole uh, mind thing. Now the enemy doesn't just have you on these sort of puppet strings. The enemy has no power to control you. He has no power over you. He can't tell you to do anything. But boy, does he have some good suggestions. Boy, is he just a master at spinning things and manipulating us and selling us on stuff that has us literally walking off of a spiritual cliff. I want you to understand that the devil didn't make you do it. 
Now there goes your, there goes your excuse now. I mean, <laughs> devil didn't make you do anything. He has no power over you. There's no power over me. And that should make some of you mad when you realize that you've being, you're, you're being controlled by something that has no power over you whatsoever. And Satan loves to suggest. He loves to just, well, well have you thought about this? Well, surely God doesn't mean that. Well, you've been good. I mean, you, you, you deserve it. You know, just go try it. I won't tell. Just suggest. And where does that all start? That starts up here. That starts up here. It starts with what you think about. It starts with what you think about. Paul says in Romans 12, Submit your bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice. And he suggests that we begin by letting God do what? Change the way we think. Change the way we think. Let God deal with the CPU. Let him deal with your guts. Let him deal with your essence. God is a spirit and he relates to us on a spirit level. So the control that the, de- the enemy would like to exercise over you happens in your mind. In the same way, the spirit leads us through our thoughts, through our understanding of who God is. Spirit suggests, he doesn't make us do anything else and throw us into situations and circumstances. He leads us, guides us. Think about, you know, a GPS system that many of you have on your phones and in your vehicles. I, as you might know, am completely lost without mine. In fact, my old job, I used to get, be a traveling salesperson. I get lost so often that they nicknamed me GPS. And it wasn't like, they, were make, they weren't laughing with me. They were laughing at me. But I'm completely lost because I really rely on the GPS. So think about the Holy Spirit as a guide, as a helper. Somebody that God sends alongside of us to lead us and guide us in the right paths. Jesus was talking to his disciples as he was preparing to leave him and ascend back into heaven. And they were very sad. And Jesus says, listen, listen, don't be sad. Because I'm going away, but I'm leaving with you something even better. And say, what could be better than the Messiah being here with us? Don't leave us, Jesus. Things are about to get crazy. Jesus says, when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Where before you and I can only relate, you can relate with me, I can relate with one person, but the Holy Spirit's going to be relate, able to relate to all the believers at the same time. And this Holy Spirit's going to go with you everywhere you go and be inside of you and lead you and guide you. It's going to testify to the character and the nature of God, and it's going to convict you of sin, and it's going to lead you in the path of righteousness. Jesus says, you want me to go away, trust me, because you need this. Particularly, things were about to get real rough for the apostles as they dealt with all the opposition. You need me to give you this Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us today. We need the Holy Spirit's leadership. We need his influence, particularly as we navigate this battlefield of our minds. What do you think about? What do you meditate on? What do you rehearse over and over in your mind. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable or be pleasing in your sight. 
oh Lord, my God. Lord, may the things that I think about, because you see all of that, you know all of that, may it be pleasing in your sight, my God. It's helpful to remember that bank robbers don't tend to just rob banks because they happen past the bank and go, I need some cash today. Let me just run in here and see if, you know, things are loose enough where I can grab some quick. No, they meditate on it. They think about it. They case the joint. They rehearse it. They think about it over and over and over. They plan it. And many of us, this is the beginning of many of the places where we fall and many of the places where we sin because you sat there and you thought about it. You consider how to avoid detection. Consider how to cover your tracks and how to strike when, you know, the, the, the coast would be the most clear. Some of us are dealing with secret addictions where a lot of our energy and effort goes into hiding it and to figure out ways not to be detected. How can I erase the, you know, the history on this machine so that nobody can look at my internet activity? How can I do that? How can I, you know, if I do this, my wife will be gone at this time and I can do it this time or I can just maneuver this and switch this over. It happens up here. In the same way, victorious living starts here. There's nothing haphazard. There's nothing random. There's nothing by chance about victorious Christian living. You don't accidentally live righteously. You're not accidentally holy. You're not accidentally set apart. It takes some strategy. It takes some meditation. It takes some planning. It takes avoiding things. And you're not leading the charge in a victorious life. You are being led, as Paul says, by the Spirit of God. Because he leads you in the path of righteousness. He leads you in the places where we should go. Testifies each and every day that the character and nature of God leads you away from things that will destroy you. Victorious living is is strategic. It's purposeful. So just like living a sinful life requires thinking and planning, so does victorious living. And the difference between the two is who and what we're led by. The life that leads to destruction and death is controlled by our sinful nature. We adhere and adhere to the suggestions of our enemy, Satan, but the victorious life is one born of the Spirit of God. What do you meditate on? What do you think about? What do you think about? Because what takes place in the mind, if unchecked, will eventually work its way out into our actions. Verse 9, but if you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit living in you. Paul adds this parenthetically, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That might make some of your heart stop for a second. Because for some of us today, the Spirit's presence and his leadership is undetectable in your hearts. 
You said, listen, all I can think about is how to offend. And all I can think about is how to, you know, scheme and how to, how to do things that are going to derail my life. I'm in, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. Let me just ask you to calm down for just a second. Because I think, just as an aside, I think it just kind of takes practice. It takes a cultivating a life and, and developing an ear to hear the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that if you ignore something for long enough, you probably won't be able to hear it after a while, right? If some type of ticking or dripping faucet happens, you know, when it first started happening, you go, man, what's that? But let that happen for a day or weeks on end. After a while, it starts to fade into the background. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit. Some of us have just gotten really used to just ignoring him, ignoring him, just doing what we want to do anyway. But I think for those of us who have really understood that what God requires of us, we are developing an ear to hear and receive and respond to what the Holy Spirit tells us to do and how he leads us. And it's reflected in our actions. Because Paul tells us in verse 12, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no obligation. Sin is not your boss anymore. Satan does not control you anymore. Now think about this. You, you have a boss you work for, you answer to him, but he gets fired or he leaves the company. You get a new boss. But on that first Monday morning where the new boss starts, the old boss show, shows up and demands that you get him 70 copies of something. This is an awkward situation. But there's a quick fix. I don't work for you anymore. You might say it nicer than that. I have no obligation to get you 70 copies or seven copies of anything. I don't work for you anymore. And this is the same idea that Paul is setting forth with us. We have no obligation to do what the enemy tells us to do. To obey the sinful nature because we no longer live, we no longer work for him anymore. That's good news. That's good news. But, but, if you don't know that, you're still in trouble. <laughs> and if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit's leadership, you might as well still be obligated to do what the sinful nature instructs us to do. Because Paul tells us that this is a dead end. Listen, sinful living, living according to the sinful nation, it's a dead end. The good news is that we are not obligated to that. We're not bound to that anymore. We're free. And Paul tells us we can live victoriously if we live a life according to the spirit of God. We can be victorious. And that's great news. That's great news. The third and final thing that Paul sets forth here in this, these uh, 17 verses is that God's spirit, particularly God's spirit in us, is a sure sign of true sonship, and I'll also say daughtership, just so that nobody feels left out, right? We're his kids. And without the Holy Spirit, we need to understand something. We, we don't belong to him. If the Spirit's presence is not active in your life, the Spirit of God does not live on the inside of you. Paul says it there in verse 9, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them they do not belong to him at all. Now, that's a sobering truth. 
That's a sobering reality. The Spirit of God is not in you. You're not a son or you're not a daughter of his. Now think about that for a second. And while you think about that, I'll reread what Paul says. Verse 15, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And what Paul says in this little chunk and the chunk before it is that, listen, if you belong to Christ, you have deposited in you, the moment you believe, a measure of God's spirit. Check and make sure it's there, because if it's not there, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I think there's something that we really need to understand about this whole progression of faith. So the work has been done already for us on the cross. And that we believe, as we talked about last week, we trust in the promises of God. And through that trust, God adopts us as his own children. We're his. And at the moment that we believe, God places his spirit in us. And God's spirit creates in us a connection to God that we can't get from any place else. And I just feel the need this morning to clear up a common misunderstanding about God and humanity. You've often heard the statement, hey, we're all God's children. And that's, I mean, that's bumper sticker worthy. That's beautiful. That's poetic even. But I don't know that there's a whole lot of truth to that. I don't think we all are God's children. I think we're all God's creation. I think we're all made in his likeness and image. But Paul makes a clear distinction here between those who are sons and daughters and those who are not. Now, this might offend the senses. You might need to Google a few things to make sure this is accurate. But we're not all God's children. We're not all heirs of the kingdom of God. We're not all sons and daughters. Because we haven't all believed and trusted our life and put our hope in Christ. It seems conditional, this inheritance. Conditional based on what? Being perfect? No. But believing and trusting your life to Jesus Christ. Believing and trusting your life to Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, we receive a supernatural download of God's spirit. And we're his kids. And Paul says, now we call him Amba, Father. And some of you say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Abba is just Aramaic. And the closest English translation is Daddy. It's what the young children refer, you know, call their fathers. And I get a picture of young children. I mean, I don't see too many older people saying daddy. I mean, sometimes I've heard that. It seems a little strange. I guess you can call him daddy, but you're 40, you know. But, I mean, the, the, the picture of daddy, I mean, you think of a young kid. You think of somebody completely trusting, completely, you know, loving and just, just dependent. This is a term of endearment. And Paul says, listen, God's spirit within us is a sure sign that we're sons and we're daughters of his. That this is legit now. This is legit. And he's so desirous for us to thrive and to, to make it and to have functioning, healthy lives that he would deposit a measure of his own spirit within us to keep us on track. 
to keep us whole and to keep us healthy. He loves you that much. Your life and your future and his plan for you is that significant that he would deposit his spirit in you so that you can thrive at this thing. You're not only, you're not a slave. You're not some stepkid. You're adopted, fully engrafted into his family. That's good news, man. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That's what we get when we believe. And the Spirit of God will lead us and guide us into his truth. And the Spirit of the living God, living and working within us, makes the difference and is the difference between us being completely separate from God and just struggling through life, living according to whatever the way the wind blows and us being on track and living a fruitful, abundant life. I'm talking about life in the spirit, a life of freedom, a life of victory, a life of sonship and daughtership and inheritance because we belong to the king. Who doesn't want that type of life? Who doesn't want that? I guess there are many people that don't want that, but I don't think they really know how sweet of a deal this is. How significant this is. Let me close with this. Worship team, you can come up. The New Testament is full of references to the Holy Spirit. Full of opportunities for us to just, just read and understand what the Spirit does for us and how important it is. But I think one of the, one of the most significant uh, passages of Scripture is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I love this whole notion of the, 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 the Spirit sort of bearing fruit in our lives because it gives us some external indication that the Spirit is alive and at work in our life. This isn't just some abstract thing that we just sort of mess around with and just, we just got to just, just hope that something's happening on the inside because we can't see it. Now, you know an apple tree is an apple because, you know, ever so often, you know, some apples grow on it. You know you're in a watermelon patch because from time to time, you know, some watermelons spring up. And you know the Spirit of God is at work in your life because often... The fruit of God's spirit starts to grow on the tree of your life. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, what those fruit are. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And some of you, your heart stopped yet again because you said, I don't hardly have any of that stuff at work in my life. I don't hardly have any of that stuff at work in my life. And some of you would usually be at a place of fruitfulness, but on this particular day, behind this particular week, you don't recognize any of those things being at work in your life and in your heart. I'll just say hit the brakes for a second. That doesn't mean you're out, you know. This is a great test for us. This is a great thing to help us understand just where we are in this spectrum. 
where we are in this thing as it relates to the Holy Spirit living and working and moving in our hearts. And I have to regularly pull out this list and say, man, Lord, I need more of you. God, I need more of you. None of this stuff is happening today, Lord. Just, we need to reset this thing. I need some more love for my wife. I need some more patience over here. I'm snapping all over the place. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm impatient. I'm unkind. Lord, I know, I know I'm yours. I know I belong to you. Lord, I just need to get beneath the cross today. I need to humble myself today. Lord, I want to bear these fruit in my life. Remember, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But God is crystal clear about what this looks like. By this, I mean what a life in the spirit looks like. And some of you today would just say, you know what, Lord? I I need some help in this area. I need some help in this area. I want to see the fruit of your spirit working within me each and every day of my life. I'm just, I, I need some help in this area. Others of you are here today and you say, listen, I need, I've never made a commitment to follow Jesus. I want that abundant life. I want those things to be at work in my life. I want freedom from sin and sin's consequences. I want to live victoriously. I don't just want to struggle and drag myself through life. Listen, wherever you are today, God wants to meet you here this morning. Wherever you are, the good news of the kingdom is God wants to meet you where you are. He wants to fill you with his spirit so you can go and have the life he intended you to have. The life he intended you to have. And my prayer is that God would just speak to you and continue to minister to you as we worship. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much for the freedom. Thank you so much for the victory. Thank you so much, Lord, for that we're not condemned, but that we're rescued by the power and your saving work of the cross. God, thank you for your spirit and how it leads us and it guides us and helps us navigate this very difficult and tricky life, Lord. We just thank you for that this morning. And for those of us, Lord, who don't feel that freedom, who don't feel, Lord, like we're not condemned and we don't feel, God, like we're yours, I pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would release anything that the enemy has stolen. You would unlock anything uh, that the enemy has bound up, Lord. I pray that your word and your truth would speak louder and ring, ring louder and ring truer than any voice that would try to say something other than what you say. And God, as we worship you this morning, Father, I pray that your power would fall in this place and that people who have never felt your spirit would feel you this morning. They would feel you this morning and know that they're in the presence of the living God. So Lord, continue the work that you've started in us as we worship you, as we give you glory, as we give you honor and praise. Thank you for the freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.